0: Good morning, church family. Won't you turn, women, to your Bibles to the Book of Acts, chapter five? And for those of you that are just joining us, uh, first of all, if you happen to be our guest today, can we just welcome our guest, guys? Man, so grateful, honored to have you here. We've been on a series called "All In," which really is a study in the Book of Acts. Last week. We read Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16. And I'd like for us to just take another few minutes and read this passage that we read last week just one more time, because I want us to really dive in and dial in to what all's taken place. Isn't it interesting that with the persecuted church, we've been reading about that every single week? Isn't that wild? I think that that's not coincidence. But in Acts 5 verses 12 through 16, listen to what it says. It says, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I love this scripture right here for so many reasons, but primarily because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who used these believers 2,000 years ago has not changed. As a matter of fact, in the book of Malachi 3, 6, the scripture says, I am the Lord, I change not. If anything has changed in the past 2,000 years, it's not God, it's people. But look, this is where we have the advantage of aligning ourselves with his word. And if we will live according to his word, we will begin to see some of the things that we're reading about here in the book of Acts. For example, the Bible says that many signs and wonders were regularly done amongst the people. And then the very next verse says, and they were all together. This is a phrase you hear me reference often, but this phrase right here, all together, this isn't just talking about the proximity of attendance. It's way more than that. It's what we read about in Acts 2.42. It's what we read about whenever we read Acts 4.32. And now we are seeing it happen once again here in Acts chapter 5. Friends, can I just tell you that Christian community is a gift from God? I know that for some, living in community with others takes you way outside of your comfort zone but can I just tell you that the goal is worth the effort Now maybe you some of you are here and saying, well it's not that I'm stuck in comfort you know maybe your thing is, is that just that you're so busy that you haven't even made time to gather with other believers And can I just say that if that is the case for you, let me encourage you, to make whatever changes are needed in order to make room for community. Because I can promise you, it will be worth it. Y'all with me this morning? I'm not telling you to go out and quit your job, okay? But I know this, I know that often I find myself busy with unimportant things that keep me from the greater thing. Hello? And just so you're clear on what I'm talking about is, when we talk about the greater thing, the greater thing is always spending time with God and spending time with people. Which, by the way, whenever we read that scripture, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, that means that we're spending time with him. And whenever it says to love our neighbor as ourself, that means that we have to spend time with them. Are, are you with me, church? See, I believe that as we do the things that God's word instructs us to do, and we follow the example that we see laid out in the lives of the believers that have gone before us, we will begin to experience more and more miracles in our lives. And when I say miracles, yes, I'm talking about healings. I'm talking about those who have been oppressed, depressed, or in some cases even possessed. But watch this. I'm also talking about the miracles that oftentimes get disregarded. Like, for example, in verse 14, it says, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes. Multitudes of both men and women. Friends, salvation is no less a miracle than walking on water. Because it's only by the power of God that one can be saved. Jesus said in John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, I think there are some unbelievers who would argue that Christians, they just serve God simply because of maybe, I don't know, like an emotional plea from a minister or something. But the Bible here teaches us that it is God who draws us. You see, every time we see someone surrender their life to Jesus, a miracle takes place. And the miracle happens, by the way, at the moment that they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because at that moment, that person's sin is no longer held against them. Come on, can someone thank God for that? Can you thank God that at the moment you put your faith in him, that your sins were no longer held against you? Wow, thank God for that. You see, it's at that point and it's at that time that we then begin to experience the miracle Of what the scripture talks about in Romans 8.16. Which says that our spirit then testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit himself testifies. Think about that. The spirit lets us know that we are God's. But then there's another important miracle that happens. And this happens as we live our life each and every day. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, therefore we do not lose heart. And I just want to encourage you. If there's any of you that you've been losing heart in some area of your life, don't lose heart. Because listen to this. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. What's that mean? That means that as children of God, our lives are being transformed. It means that our lives will begin to show forth the fruit of of that transformation. It's what the scripture talks about whenever it says that we are to go from glory to glory. How many of you know that when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, he didn't leave us in the same condition in which he found us? Like, thank God for that, because I was a mess when he found me, right? But God wants to transform us. He wants us to go from glory to glory. One of the things that I love that I've got to do for uh, about 10 years now is pastoring this church. And I'll tell you, I love how I've seen many of your lives transformed by the power of God throughout the years. Even as I look and see your faces right now, man, I I see how God has done such an amazing work in your all's lives. And what I mean by that is, your life is showing forth the fruit of the Spirit, church. And catch this, spiritual fruit can only be produced by the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, for those of you that are new to church, this is what we talk about when we, we say the fruit of the Spirit. And it comes as a result of a life that has been transformed by Jesus Christ. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, I know people who say that they're Christian, but their life doesn't reflect that kind of fruit. Well, to that, can I just say, have you ever planted an apple tree and then the very next day saw apples on it? Or for that matter, even a couple of months later and expected to see a bushel? Anyone? How many of you guys know how much a bushel is, by the way, and without Googling it? Anyone know how much? Anyone? Oh, that's 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 right. Yeah, give me a number. Anybody? That was really close. Who said 124? because I ate the other one. It's 125. Give that man an apple. Come on, that's pretty good right there. See, you guys, if you ever make it to final jeopardy, and that happens to be the final question, he looked and he saw that it would have been eight. I was one at eight. That's pretty good, buddy. (laughs) Now, check this out. Maybe you're like me, and you've not arrived yet, because you know what? I've not arrived yet. Well, I want you to grab hold of this thought right here. We may not yet be who we want to be, but thank God we're not who we used to be. Yes. Hmm. See, the interesting thing is when we talk about that little bushel illustration right there, we wouldn't expect that after seven mo- or several months of, of planting an apple tree, yet we often expect Christians to just all of a sudden live this perfect life. Now, let me just say that as we grow and mature in our faith, there should come now a point in the time where we start to see more and more fruit. Are you with me? But the work that God has began in our life, church, he will bring it about to completion as we stay surrendered to him. We've but to do the things that God has told us and called us to do. Like to be people of faith. Being willing to step out in faith. We've got to be intentional about living in community, not forsaking the gathering of the saints. And that's not just talking about coming to church on a Sunday morning. That's talk about us not for, uh, forsaking the gathering of the saints on Monday through Saturday either. Yeah. Because the scripture says that it's day by day. Yeah. Hello. I know we like to look at that scripture and think, well, I go to church. So I'm not you know, forsaking the gathering of the saints. But are you doing it Monday through Saturday? Are you forsaking them then? Uh, you're getting quiet on me now, but you see, this right here is how we produce fruit. This is how we produce fruit. And by the way, let me just say this, and you've heard me say it so many times there is no substitute for time spent with Jesus and time spent with others. Like, this is what we're called to do, church. And by the way, let me just say, I'm not up here this morning to beat you up. But- like if you haven't been doing these things, but I'm here to call you up to the place where you are destined to be. Because it's in that place that our lives are changed. And if we're not intentional about these things that we're talking about, then by default, we're going to settle for self-dependence, self-governing, and self-preservation. Yet self doesn't have the power needed in order to live a victorious life. Now, I want us to pick back up where we left off last week in verses 17 through 21. Scripture says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. I want to give you three simple points to write down this morning. And the first one is this. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. The disciples, they were advancing the kingdom of God. They were seeing folks get saved. They were seeing people be healed. And it says that there were those who were jealous because of it. Now understand that for the apostles, this jealousy, like it could have easily caused them to be distracted by fear because the high priests and the Sadducees, I mean, these are guys who they wielded some serious power, Right? They had all already been arrested once, or at least Peter and John had been, and now they're all being arrested. But I want you to catch this because distraction, and I have found it comes in many different forms. As a matter of fact, I think that when you look at it this way in the fear form, that it kind of has three root forms. Like, distraction has three root forms. Like, there's the lust of the flesh, there's the lust of the eyes, and then there's the pride of life. Now, some of you will be familiar with what I'm saying there because this are the or these are the very things that are mentioned in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. And but it goes on to also say that those things are not from God, that those things are from the world. And here's the thing that we've got to understand about distraction. Distraction has mm, an element of deception to it. And what I mean by that is we can actually deem our distraction a good thing? For example, how many of you would agree that hard work is a good thing? Yes. But is working uh, for 80 hours a week a good thing? Or what about this? Nothing wrong with watching TV. I watch a little TV from time to time. But is watching TV for three hours a day a good thing? By the way, I didn't know But I thought it was interesting. I actually, some of y'all are like, right? It's interesting. I didn't know this, but I looked it up after I had kind of wrote this little illustration down and found out that the average American watches 3.1 hours of TV every single day. And I can't help but wonder, what are we being distracted from? Like, what are we missing out on? Can I just throw one guess in the pot? I'm going to say one right here, relationship. I don't know, relationship with God, relationship with our family, relationship with people. Can I just tell you a good way to determine if something is a distraction in your life or not? Ask yourself this question. Does it draw you closer to your God-ordained purpose or does it push you further away? Church, you should ask this question right here pretty much in every area of your life. Like, if it doesn't draw you closer to your, pur- uh, your purpose, like, and it pushes you away, it's a distraction. And I think this is where a large percentage of the body of Christ find themselves, yet they don't even realize that it's happening to them. For example, I thought this right here would be a real good one considering that this week is midterms election. Right. First of all, can I just say, I want to encourage everyone to vote, amen, yeah. and take your time um, in doing your due diligence, like get out there and actually learn about what these candidates stand for before you cast your vote, learn which justices are up for re-election, be prepared on how to vote uh, for the different amendments, like don't just get in there and say, well, I don't know what that is, so I'm not going to vote. No, like take 10 minutes and like do your homework, okay? And when you vote, vote your morals. If it's not going in alignment with your morals, why in this world would you vote for it? I'm not trying to tell you how to vote. Are you with me? I'm telling you, you need to be lining up with biblical morals, the ones that as believers we say we align ourselves with. Are you with me? Now back to my point. Like none of us know exactly what's going to happen this week we don't everything may be smooth it may be fine we, we don't know we have no idea what's going to happen as a result of this week's election but watch this no matter what happens don't get distracted don't get caught up in politics to the place to where your fruit tastes rotten in everyone else's mouth are you with me psalm 119 verse 15 says I will, I don't care what everyone else does around me, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You see, it's hard to be distracted when you've already fixed yourself on Jesus, when you fixed your eyes on him. Remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar? Like, basically, this this is the heart of what he said. He said, you know, even if things don't go the way that I want them to go, we're not going to bow down to the gods of this world, but we're going to fix our eyes on the one true God. Amen? You see, having a God-first mindset is what keeps us from being distracted by the world. And Jesus even mentioned this in Matthew 6.33 when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added to you. If you will put God first, all these other things that you're worried about, oh, what about this and what about, you know, what about the economy? What about my 401K? What about the government? And What about, you know, the wars and the rumors of wars? God says, I got all that figured out. You think I don't have all this taken care of? You don't get distracted. You seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness. And then all other things, they're going to be added to you. Are you with me? Having said that, let me ask you something. What's been keeping you from seeking God first in your life? Whatever it is, that thing is a distraction. Now, I'm a word nerd. Any word nerds here? I'm I'm such a word nerd. Like, I love to to open up Webster and find the word of the day. I, I don't know. I'm just... Call me a nerd. I don't care, uh, but I love it. And um, so I looked up the word "distract" because I figured it'd be something really cool there. So I looked it up, and I looked it up in Webster's. Webster was uh, no. Webster was a believer. Uh, I think the hand of God was on him, and I love his definitions more so than some of the others that's out there. But that's just, anyway, my opinion. But um, I want you to just listen to what the word "distract" means. Like the first definition was this: to draw or direct. Something such as someone's attention to a different object or in different directions at the same time. Yeah, see that one right there, that's the, like the latter one, right? Like this is the one I believe most believers right here, they, they fall prey to right here because they've been drawn in different directions at the same time. Like they're putting their focus on God, but simultaneously, they're also focusing on the world. But look, Jesus said in Matthew six twenty four, he says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, I share this truth with you right here as a point of freedom because so many believers, they have been devoted to God, but they have also been devoted to the world. And Jesus said, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. You can't straddle the fence. You can't be hot or cold. You, you, you If you're right there and you're lukewarm and you're trying to put one hand in the world and one hand thinking that you're holding on to God, it's not going to work. Let me just say, in case you're here and maybe you've not fully made up your mind as to which one you're going to serve, can I just remind you of something that I bet you that most of you have heard at some point? He's got the whole world in his hands. Come on, however you remember singing that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Why would you choose this world when you can choose the one who made the world? Are you with me this morning, church? The only reason that we would choose the world is because we don't trust God or we don't believe God. What I mean by that is we don't think that God will give us what we need or we think that the world has something to offer us that is better than what God has for us. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And that verse leads me to the second definition of that word, distract, which is to stir up or confuse. How many of you know that the devil is the author of confusion, not God? So to distract means to stir up or confuse with conflicting emotions or motives. You see, in the church today, there are a lot of conflicting emotions or motives with believers, but that doesn't have to be the case. Can I just tell you that you can put an end to that conflict? You say, but how? By applying the one thing that is able to separate those conflicting emotions, which is God's word. Listen to what the scripture says. You know, I think that if I ever just got any one thing that I could share with you, it would be this. Make sure that you spend time with God and in his word. Like, that's it. Like, if you ever walk away and say, man, what did Pastor Chris teach me? I remember I used to go to that Destiny church 20 years ago. Oh, he he said, make sure that I spend time with God and spend time in his word. That's it right there. Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. This is so loaded. This is one of those ones you should take home and you should chew on it and just allow the Holy Spirit to bring some revelation to you. It says, for the word of God is living. It's the only thing. It's the only book that's alive. For the word of God is living, and it's active. The word of God is not dormant. The only way it's dormant is when you leave it on your shelf with dust on it. The word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division. Here we go. Of soul and of spirit. The soul, that's your mind. That's your will. That's your emotion. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions. There's the motives right there of the heart. You see, it's the word of God that's able to pierce that division and reveal the thoughts and the intents of our heart. But the only way that it can do its job is if we are being faithful to put it in us. It's what King David is talking about when he wrote Psalm 119 verse 11, when he said, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Can I give you a prophetic word that God gave me during worship and I didn't know where I was supposed to give it and now's the time. For there are some of you in this place, you're in a lean season in your life right now. And by lean, I mean you feel like you're weak. But the Lord says, but because you have had seasons of plenty in your life, if you will call and recall the things that have been deposited within you, you will come through on the other side. Now, that's a word for someone who's walking through something right now, but it's also a word for those of you who need to keep continually putting that deposit within you. Because I can tell you something, there will be seasons in life that you will have that are lean seasons. And what are you going to do when you find yourself weak? You're going to have to depend upon God's word. Because if not, you'll start depending upon other things, and you're not going to come out victorious. God's word keeps us from being distracted and from pulled into sin. Now, the second point that I want you to grab a hold of is this. God will always make a way. Here we see the disciples once again being arrested for speaking in the name of Jesus. And in verse 19, it says that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Now, this isn't going to be the last time that we're going to see an angel sent by God to come and to open some prison doors. But what I want you to see here is that God opens the door that no man can open, while at the same time shutting the doors that no man can shut. And I highlight this point just to let you know that nothing is impossible with God. Like opening a prison door is a piece of cake for God. Just like rolling back the Red Sea didn't cause God to break a sweat. See, the problem isn't with God's ability or even his willingness. The problem lies with our faith. Jesus said in Mark nine twenty three, all things are possible for him who believes. Let me ask you something. What do you think is impossible for God to do in your life right now? And if you think that it's impossible, who told you that? Well, it's impossible for me to have the kind of marriage that I want to have. Or I'll never get that job that I've always hoped for. Well, this is just the way that it's going to be. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. Can I just tell you something? There are far too many believers who are living under the demonic influence of Murphy's Law. That they believe that there's no good thing that, can't, or that can happen to them. But can I just ask you this? Like, what do you think that says about God if he's your heavenly father? Let me tell you something. God is not an absentee father. Are you hearing me? But as a good father, can I tell you what he will do? Because I think I'm a pretty good dad, right, girls, you know? But you know what I require of them often? The same thing that he requires of us. I say, you need to be, help me out, babe, patient, right? You got to be patient. I've said this to you so many times. You know what? Repetition's a good tool. That's the reason I say it a lot. You know what the most asked question is in the Bible? Huh? That's it. How long, O Lord? If that's the most asked question in the Bible, and it is, can I just tell you, that means there's a lot of times, many times in our life. That God is just simply asking us to be patient because the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Let me say that again so that that settles in your spirit. I said the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Not only that, but understand this, that God is only going to give us the things that we need. Now, church, can I just say, I understand I really do. I understand what it's like to be in an impossible situation. But what's impossible with man is possible with God, which is why we must keep our faith and our trust in God rather than ourselves or in man. Isaiah 43, verses 15 through 16. I love this verse. It says, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters. You see, the prophet Isaiah introduces God here as one who makes a way. That's why we call him the way maker. But let me just go a little bit deeper into this scripture right here in Isaiah, because it's referencing God's deliverance of the children of Israel from uh, Egypt. And I want you to kind of consider this progression, if you will. God initially led the children of Israel away from trouble. Now, when I think about that, I often think of new Christians in that honeymoon phase after they've given their life to Christ. Some of you are like, yeah, I remember that, right? What I'm, talk, what I'm talking about is, you know, where things are just wonderful, right? Everything is everything's great, and you have all these new feelings that you've never had before. And it seems as if God is just causing everything to just fall into your lap and make it everything easy. But then you run into a dead end, just like the children of Israel. They had a massive Red Sea in front of them and a huge Egyptian army at your tail. Now, let me just say, if that's a little too allegorical for you, let me bring it home to where you live. You have bills that are overdue and you don't have enough money to pay them. As a matter of fact, when you start looking at the weeks and the months to come, you don't see the potential or the possibility for any more money coming along for you to be able to pay them. Or perhaps you've received a bad report from the doctor and the doctors have said that no matter what they do no matter what you do it's not going to help the situation and so you've just given up matter of fact can i say i could probably list a thousand different examples of things that are just simply beyond our reach and our ability to do anything about but none of them are too difficult for god god led the children of israel to a dead end only to show them that he makes a way Where there is no way. He is the way maker. And whatever situation you think is impossible, it's time to trust the God of possible. Our first point is don't get distracted. The second one is God will always make a way. And the third one is this. Speak the words of life. Because listen to what the angel directed the apostles too in acts 5 20 he says now go he sets them free and then he gives them a directive because whatever god sets us free he always gives us a directive just much like the woman who was caught in adultery he said woman your sins are forgiven you then he says now go and sin no more he didn't say go and sin less by the way okay but he frees them and he says go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Hmm. Can't help but having Toby Mack in the back of my mind right now. Speak life. Come on. God has called us to speak life. Friends, this is the mandate that is still upon you and I for today. We are called to share the gospel and to speak life. Now, what's it mean to speak life? It means to speak truth, God's truth. Not our truth, none of this culture saying, oh, speak your truth. No, speaking God's truth, his truth, because it's God's truth that's going to set people free. Not your truth and your, their opinion, but his truth. Are you with me? Did you know that whenever you speak truth to someone, like you can help set in motion the trajectory of someone's life just by speaking life? I remember one time when I saw the opposite, because we know that with the power of the tongue, the scripture says that it either produces life or death. I think I've shared this with you before, but I was doing prison ministry when I was probably about 18, 19 years old, did it for a couple of years, and we had about 100 prisoners that were there. And I just asked a question off the cuff and said, hey, how many of you are here and um, someone said to you, you're going to probably end up in jail one day. I said, would you raise your hand? I'm just kind of curious because I knew the biblical principle about speaking life and speaking death, so I thought I would just ask you guys, no joke, every single hand in that place was raised. Someone throughout their life, or many someones, continue to speak death over them. Guys, we have got to be the ones who speak life. And understand this, we can't keep God's truth to ourselves either. Are you with me? We can't hold on to these words of life and be silent about it. Man, I'm telling you, I think that one day when we stand before God, like, we're going to find that we've been guilty of, of, of the sin of omission, like the sin of silence, of like God's given us something, like, could you imagine, could you imagine if All of a sudden, someone found the cure for cancer. And they found out that that cure, like, just took pennies. Like, literally, like, five cents is all it takes. It's something that was natural. And if they infused it or however they came about finding it, like, the world would be cured. And the guy who found it out had cancer. And so he went and found out and he found out how to cure himself. What kind of person would you think that guy would be if he didn't share it with those around him and especially with those who need it? Is it any different? I'm just asking, right? Don't throw stones. I'm just asking. If we have words of life, but we don't share it with those who need it, I'm just asking, how are we any different? I'm just asking for a friend, okay? (laughs) It's time for us to speak life. God has called us to speak life. And when we speak life, I'm telling you, I'm talking about... See, here's what we do in church. We talk about accountability, and there needs to be accountability. But oftentimes... Like I've redefined accountability, because used to like in the church we we've kind of defined accountability as calling people out, but I like to call accountability as calling people up. So that whenever we look at someone, we, see, we say, like, 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 I can look right now across the room, and, and Tyler, sorry, I'm going to pick on you, but I see the call of God on your life, Tyler. And I'm not just making this up. I already told you this, so I'm going to go ahead and reaffirm it right in front of the whole church, that one day you're going to stand in front of a group of people, and when you speak, you're going to speak words that's going to change people's lives, and it will happen, says the Lord. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But you know what? When we see that in other people and God reveals it, Like, we need to go, now if you're sitting there, well, how do I know if it's God? How do I, look, let me tell you something. You know it's God because you have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. Like, God's not going to come along with a megaphone and be like, hey, go and tell Tyler. No, he gives us promptings by his spirit. And we know in part, we see in part, and we speak in part. And when God gives us a part, give the part that we have to give. But don't hold on to it. Because watch this. You may have that part, and you say, well, I don't see nothing when I gave my part. But then Daniel may come along, and he may give a part. Right, Amanda? Right? (laughs) I mean, y'all don't know what's going on there, but that's something special right there. But we all have a part to play in the kingdom of God, and we've got to do that. We've got to give that. We've got to speak that. The disciples spoke life, and as a result, more and more People came into the kingdom of God. Not only that, but watch this. Miracles will follow where there's life. Y'all say, man, we want to see miracles. We want to see miracles. Bless God, so do I, right? And thank God I got to experience not only one, but two this year. I want to see more and more of them. But could it be that we will see more miracles as we start to speak life? Isn't it interesting that Jesus always spoke life before he saw the miracle? Get up. He didn't have to. He could have just looked at the person and thought it, and he could have stood up. But Jesus always spoke life. He said, Lazarus, rise up. Right? Pick up your mat there. Right? Be healed. Every single time. There was life that was spoken, and a miracle came. There's something there, something on that. Go and dive into that. Let that be your Bible study to dive into it. Okay? But They spoke life. Miracles would follow. Now, just a minute ago, I mentioned the the children of, of Israel. After they were freed from the Egyptians there was this phrase that they would sing maybe you've heard it before I think we, we sing it in um, kind of like a nursery rhyme sometimes in Christian church uh, we would say spring up oh well right you remember that I think it's found in numbers chapter 21 and let me just say that that um, was a praise and a celebration of the things that God had done for them but it also served as a prophetic declaration that what God had done in the past he could also do it again. And so here's what I speak over you, Destiny Church. Spring up a oh well. Spring up a oh well. Spring up a oh well. Church, I want you to know that whatever God has done in the past, He wants to do it again in our lives and in our church and in our city. We've but to not be distracted, to trust God that He is the way maker. And to speak words of life. Amen? Now if you read the rest of Acts chapter 5, the Bible says that whenever the high priest and the Sadducees went to get the apostles, they found that the prison door was securely locked. And there were actually guards that were there standing at the doors. But once they opened them up, they went inside to find that no one was there. And I love that the scripture says, and they were greatly perplexed. That's a good thing. That creates holy curiosity. I want my life to reflect Jesus in such a way that it causes people to be greatly perplexed. I'll tell you what, if you knew me in high school and saw me up here behind a pulpit and talking in front of people, like, those people are looking at it, and they're they're still being greatly perplexed, right? (laughs) You know why? Because God wants to do something in you that's greater than you. Because God doesn't reach down and call the qualified. Like, I'm telling you, he will call the unqualified, and then he will then place his anointing upon them and their power upon them to do what they could never do in their own strength. The Bible says that they were greatly perplexed. They couldn't understand how the apostles got past the locked door with standing guards. But can I just tell you that God will use... The very thing that was meant to hold you back to launch you out. Let me say that again so you grab a hold of that. Here's your appetizer before you go out to the Olive Garden. God will use the very thing that was meant to hold you back to launch you out. Hey, some of you are here this morning and maybe you feel like you've been in a prison. And that everything has been working against you and not for you. Like maybe you feel like there's not been any open doors and that all you keep seeming to come against is closed doors. But let me encourage your faith. Let me speak over you something this morning. Don't get distracted. Don't look at what isn't. Look at what can be. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who has called you. Know that he makes a way where there seems to be no way. And trust his timing. Yeah. You know what I've found? God's rarely early. Like, there's probably been a few times that he's been early. But I can tell you this, he's never late. And then speak the words of life. Hmm. And as you speak the words of life, watch doors begin to open. Watch lives begin to be changed, and watch your feet land on your God-ordained destiny. Amen, church? Come on, y'all receive the word of God. Stand to your feet. My desire, my hope as a pastor, it's even why we put together this Bible study that we send out to you, that Daniel sends out to you, like on Saturday nights or whenever your pastor's a little late Monday mornings, every once in a while. <laughs> but I want to encourage you, like when you come together, whether it's here, whether it's at a conference, whether it's at a revival, like in the word of God is being taught to you, like go talk about it. I mean, like when, when you go to lunch, like maybe ask a few questions. Say, like, what did God show you through that? What area of your life do you feel like you need to work on? How can I help you? And then even ask for help. Say, hey, could you help me in this area? And so having said that, I want to just encourage you guys to read the rest of Acts chapter 5. Because, again, we're going to see that uh, all the apostles here, they're arrested once more. And then Peter gives a mini-sermon that, oh, man, just cuts straight to the heart. And the Bible says that they wanted to kill them right here and there. So here we are in Acts 5, and already they're wanting to put him to death. But then a religious leader called Gamaliel, he came along and says, yeah, you probably don't want to do that, um, not just yet. So they just went ahead and beat him and released them, and told them to no longer speak. In the name of Jesus. But then in verse 42, and this is the last verse in uh, Acts 5, it says, And every day, there we go, it's not just a Sunday morning thing, church, hello? And in every day, in the temple, and from house to house. I, 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 can, I, can I take two minutes? Because I just feel the calling of house to house. I thank God that you're here at church this morning. Please keep coming back and invite people to come with you. I think that this is part of the plan of God. That's what it talks about when it talks about going to the temple and all the believers coming together. But it also talks about going house to house every day. If you're not going to house to house with other believers, you don't have to go there for three hours. I have, people that, I have some people coming to my house tonight for an hour. We're going to pray together for an hour. And we get right to business right at 7. Boom, and we pray. But house to house, that's where lives are transformed. And I just feel something in my gut to just say to some people that, like, some of the freedom that you're going to find is right here. The blueprint is laid out right here. And this is a foundational element, church. Are you hearing me? Like, this isn't something that you get to skip past and say, well, I'll take me some communion and some baptism and I'll take me some of forgiveness. But I don't know about the community thing. I don't know about the gathering together, but what you're doing is you're forsaking the gathering of the saints. It's easy to come in at 10.02, well, and walk in and be the first one to get out the door. That's not community. Like you can worship with the crowd, but you can't fellowship with the crowd. And some of you need that fellowship in your life because it's going to be the thing that's going to set you free. So you've got to be intentional about it. You can't even just amen and say, oh, that's good, pastor. That's biblical. So you kind of have to amen it, don't you? Because it is biblical. But are you going to do something about it? Will you resolve right now? Will you resolve right now to do something about it? Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ Is Jesus. I don't know about you, but you know what? This scripture right here, it lights a fire in my heart. See, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just read about what the early church did 2,000 years ago. Like, I'm grateful for our, our biblical history, and it does serve as a blueprint, but like, I want to see this in our church, and in your lives, and in our city, and in our schools, and in our marketplace. The establishment told the disciples, told the church, don't speak anymore. In Jesus name but the church said we must obey God rather than man church it's time to obey God it's time to do what he has called us to do which leaves me with one last question if and when let me just say when not if because I already see the trajectory of what's happening in this world so let me just drop the if and say when like when the day comes that you're told to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Are you going to be compliant? Or are you going to say, stay committed? Will you refuse to be distracted? That Will you refuse? To, to, and, and will you choose to be the one who believes that God can make a way And will you have the determination that you are going to continue to speak the words of life? Now, if that's you and you say, yes, here's what I'm going to do. I want to ask you right now, just as a sign of surrender. I know this takes some of you outside of your comfort zone. But just as a sign of surrender, anywhere you go in the world, when someone raises their hand, it's saying to God, I surrender. So I'm not just asking you to do this for those of you who's like, I don't like." pastor to tell me what to do. Don't do it for me, do it for God. And you say to God right now, I surrender my all to you. Would you put both hands up right now, just as a sign of what you're feeling inwardly to God. It's a heart that says, God, I fix my eyes on you. It says, God, I will speak your truth. I refuse to be silenced, but instead I will declare The good things that you have done. Watch this. The worship team is about to lead us back in song. And as they do, I want you to sing these words. But when you sing them, I want to ask you to sing them in faith. Sing it as if you believe that God is the way maker. Sing it as if you believe that with God all things are possible. Amen? Come on, lift your voice.